Good morning. You're tuning in to Mornings with Mubaraka. This is WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. Also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. This is Mubaraka Ibrahim. For Mornings with Mubaraka, where we talk about national issues from a local level through a lens of diversity. And this morning, we are, of course, talking about with what probably everyone else this morning in media, out of media, at the at the job cooler, on the phone, in meetings, um, is talking about right now, which is the election of Donald Trump for president as of the United States. And today we are going to talk about it from the perspective of Muslim Americans. Uh, last night, we had a very nail-biting election that came pretty close for a, for a while, going back and forth between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and Donald Trump prevailed. And he is now the president-elect of the United States. This has turned, his entire campaign has turned politics and in America on its head he did nothing traditional. He is in no way traditional. He, he has led, um, you know, in the past we complained about negative campaigns and throughout Donald Trump's campaign, he was known for his bigotry and xenophobia and sexism and racism and Islamophobia. Um, and that won him the White House. So what does that say for where we are in America? What does that say for how we go forward from this? point on. Um, and we're going to talk about it, um, particularly from the perspective of being Muslim in America and having someone in the White House that is Islamophobic um, or has shown through statements to have um, to, to be Islamophobic. And to join me on this discussion today, we have Tahira Amatua Dude and uh, Manji Duadi. I think I'm pronouncing your name right. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So, Thank you for having me. So, Tahira Amatuwadu is, is an attorney in Springfield, Massachusetts, where she focuses on family and civil rights law. She has served as a lead counsel in cases involving religious intolerance directed as Muslims. And as the counsel for the residents of Islamburg in Hancock, New York, she has advocated for awareness for the threats of violence facing the Muslim community. She serves on the Commission of the Status of Women for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and is on the board of the National Conference for Community and Justice and the Committee for Hampton County Bar Association's Children's Law Project. Tahira is a return guest on Mornings with Mubaraka, and we always look forward to her thought-provoking comments. Munji Duadi is the former executive director of CARE, where he uh, has spent his his time there conducting civil rights workshops throughout the state of Connecticut under the title Know Your Rights. He is currently the senior program officer at the Center for Islam and Democracy in Washington, D.C. So I want to um, start off with a couple of things. Um, well, let's start off with this first. So uh, we had we did a lot of advocacy within the Muslim community throughout the campaign and the election to get Muslims out to vote. Um, did, did Muslims turn up and turn out? 
So, so that's the first question. Oh, you want me to take that one? Either, either way, either way. Go I think it. that we um, definitely saw a great turnout. The statistics say that there was probably unprecedented turnout of Muslims, minorities, African-Americans, Latinos. And of course, that was very important, not only for them to cast a vote, but also for them to feel empowered enough to do something. Uh, for many of these people, we're talking about coming outside of their comfort zone by going out and getting uh, politically engaged. We had a lot of folks who had cultural issues around how Muslims and whether Muslims should be civically engaged in the system, and they overcame that and turned out in record numbers. When I, over the past few hours, think about what happened and what went wrong, one of the things I won't do is blame the people who have the most to lose, because I think they indeed have turned out and, and have done everything that anybody could have asked, asked for this community to do. And Manji, from, from, from where you are in D.C., what, how was that turnout? Um, good morning, everybody, and, and I apologize if my voice is a little rusty this morning. We, we as many of you, we've stayed late last night, and we spent most of the night in shock at the uh, results results as they were trickling in from all the states. Um, well, the Muslim community, I mean, this is a community that is, uh, um, by and large, it is new to the to the activism, to the political activism. Uh, probably, except if you see the um, uh, the African American Muslim community, that especially the W. D. Muhammad community, that's been involved in politics for a while. The rest of uh, the community is is are kind of newcomers. So, so our numbers keep going up every cycle of election. So, I'm assuming here from the enthusiasm that we see, and we're going to have to wait and see the actual numbers. Uh, but the 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 uptick of the Muslim community and the enthusiasm, and especially uh, during this cycle when the rhetoric coming especially from Donald Trump uh, about the Muslim community in general and Islam uh, kind of motivated many of the Muslims to turn out, to register. Uh, we, we saw uh, a lot of communities holding registration um, campaigns and events at their mosques. We, we saw even at the national level several organizations under the um, umbrella of the U.S. Council of Muslim Organizations has announced last week that they have reached more than one million uh, new Muslim uh, registered uh, voters. Uh, so so we, we assume that those people not just registered to vote, but actually turned out to vote, and we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, but uh, definitely the numbers are there. But are they enough uh, to to overcome um, the Trump camp, I, as we saw clearly yesterday, uh, they were not, especially in places where the Muslim vote could have played a tipping um, uh, role, like in Florida, for example. Uh, in Virginia, where we saw the um, Hillary struggle to, to, to win that state, and when we know that it's probably the Muslim vote that tipped that state in, in her favor and saved an embarrassment for her and for Tim Kaine. Um, but um, again, I don't think the Muslim vote um, was enough. So so now that we are... So, so first, I think that what is interesting about this um, 
in, in the numbers that have come out so far in the the and it'll be interesting to see what the numbers are is there was there was always this um what I saw was a these comments of there's going to be kind of like these silent people who are going to vote Trump, who is going to vote Trump because people just assume that no black person will vote Trump or no Arab will vote Trump. And some of the numbers that have come out thus far is that four percent of black women actually voted for Trump. Thirteen percent of black men, 20, 26 percent of Arabs and 29 percent of Hispanics actually voted for Trump. And the reason why we point this out is because these are the uh, specific uh, demographics that he has shown bigotry towards. And so it I think it surprises people that any amount of these these particular demographic would actually vote for him. But I but it it happened. And so it will it's going to be interesting once we get the numbers to see how many Muslims actually voted for Trump. For people who were not following the campaign, one of the reasons why um, some of the things that Trump said throughout his campaign was he suggested that there should be a religious test and there should be that Muslims should not be allowed um, inside of the United States. He suggested that um, Muslims should have special IDs just be, by religion, literally just because you're a Muslim, you would have an ID, much like Hitler had for um, for the Jews in Germany. Um, he suggested he he suggested that when um, the 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 mother of the um, slain American soldier, Khan, didn't say anything on stage, he suggested that it was cultural or religious for her to be quiet. So he, he automatically confused grief with a, some type of religious connotation. So this is some of the things that have brought um, red lights for Muslims throughout his campaign. And I guess the conversation now is that, okay, we know from these statements where, what his position is, is or what his his thought process is when it comes to dealing with Muslims. So now that he's president, what what kind of first, what kind of conversation do we have with our children? So to hear, I know you have small children. What is what is that conversation that you had this morning? The conversation was a little a little frightening for me because one of my children in particular is very sensitive and very alert. So what I had to do was just make sure I was responding. I'm sorry, you're, you're very low. Know. You're very low. We can't hear you really well. Okay, does this sound better? Much better. Okay, so one of my children in particular, he's eight years old. He's very alert. He's very intelligent, and he's aware, and he's also deeply sensitive. So for me to be able to tell him what the day would bring made me very nervous, in fact. Um, but the conversation that I've had and I've drawn strength from my network and from friends and, and Facebook has been a, a gift. I've had telephone calls and people are just brainstorming, where do we go from here? And what I've been telling our children is that we've been equipped with the tools to overcome hatred and bigotry, which are no new uh, phenomena in this country, in this world. And we've been equipped with those tools to show 
show passion and love and compassion to our neighbors and to take care of ourselves and to build coalitions of support. And my kids go to school and I told them, you may have adults. I'm sorry, your, your kids go to, to what? They go to a Muslim school. Okay. And I was uh, telling them that they may have adults who are sad today and children who don't understand what happened. But for them to feel confident, not to be afraid, and to offer what they have, which is self-confidence. And those are some of the messages I've given the children. Mm. Now, Munji, your kids are a little bit older. You have teenagers and young adults. Did you have a conversation with them around Trump winning? Um, we've actually we've been talking about this for for a while now. Um, you know, with uh, with my son Salah, who is the, the youngest, and and the other two who are uh, a little bit older. Uh, and they actually, the, the two girls, uh, and Salma, they, they voted, Salma voted for the first time in her, in her life uh, yesterday. Um, they, but, but there was this, this, this something that we need, to, we need to understand about this election. And I think some of the numbers you have cited, uh, Mubarak, uh, are telling us a lot. And, and we need to spend some time trying to, trying to understand this, what, what just happened yesterday and why people voted the way they did. Now, obviously, we understand and we know that there is a, uh, a group that has that that is, uh, let's be frank, uh, racist. Uh, that they are Islamophobes. That they are, um, you know, misogynists. That they are, you know, so 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 we know that they exist and that core is there and they supported Trump and they pushed for him. Even some of the leaders of some of these hateful groups that were declared by the uh, Poverty Law Center as hateful groups. Are some of the top of those organizations are his advisors, um, and 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 possibly they might be in 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 the cabinet. We see them in cabinet positions tomorrow. Um, so those groups exist, but there's others who voted for him for other reasons. Some of it is economical. Some of it is uh, socially conservative, and they didn't like where the country was moving. Um, and and others who, uh, to tell you the truth, they. They like his persona as a strong business-minded kind of leader, and they never actually um, believed his rhetoric when it came to Islamophobia and racism and others. It's really interesting. I had some conversations with some of the young Muslims who, during the past week, all of a sudden showed up even on social media talking about themselves voting for Trump, and I was you know, back and forth with them uh, trying to understand their mindset, and some of them they really do not believe that he's going to act on those hateful rhetoric uh, messages that he was he was spewing, mm-hmm. uh, saying that the Constitution of the United States here to protect us. There's no way he could prevent Muslims from entering. There's no way he could issue special IDs because that's against the law, and we have a strong you know system that's going to protect us. So in a sense, voting for him, even though he sounded outlandish. But it's a it's a response as if they still believe in the American values and in ironic way voting for a racist and for somebody who does not stand for American values. It's really interesting. So one of the, um, one of the you know, I, one of the things that I, I I find when people have this view of well we're protected from the Constitution he's not going to be able to do all of these things is. Um, uh, you know, there was a there's there's a, a video of one of the chief justices and he um, said that the death of democracy is actually people not knowing how politics work. 
And I think that that's a part of kind of like this idea of, you know, well, you know, he's not going to be able to do all of these things because we have like all of, you know, these these safeguards set up and people don't understand how the the amount of power that the president have or the power of executive order, because we had the very same constitution when the Japanese were put in internment camps and that was done by executive order of the president. So um, there is there actually isn't that much of a safeguard that would prevent that would completely prevent him from implementing things that are racist or Islamophobic because the president does have a certain amount of power that he can implement via executive order where he does not need the vote of Congress or the Senate. And I think that that is a part that a lot of people don't understand. You're absolutely right, Mubarak. And I think um, not only that, but there's some kind of naive thinking that, and people don't know that, the, like you said, the internment of Japanese Americans came by an executive order from the president, but also was challenged in court, and, and it was upheld in the Supreme Court. It was upheld. Uh, there are elements within the Trump camp that advocate that Islam is not a religion, Therefore, it should not be granted the protection under the Constitution. So people, when they think that Trump is not going to be, a, you know, cannot act on this, they ignore the fact that in his team, they have these very well-established, thoughtful, uh, hateful, uh, but at the same time, people who know how to work the system. And, and, and that's where the danger lies. I mean, I, I posted something on my Facebook last night saying, all I keep thinking about after this result is, having Giuliani as an attorney general, Newt Gingrich as secretary of state, and Frank Gaffney, of all people. You're going to give me nightmares, Manji. Stop, stop. You're going to give me nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. And this is Mornings with Mubaraka. And we are talking and um, reflecting as the Muslim American response to the election of Donald Trump. And I have with me attorney Tahirama Tuwadud, who is a civil rights and family law attorney. And Manji Duabi who is the senior program officer at the Center for Islam and Democracy in Washington, D.C. Munji, please tell me how to pronounce your last name correctly. Duadi. Duadi. Okay, I just wanted to make I I don't want to keep mispronouncing Duadi. So, so, so let's... How do we, so now that, okay, so now the deed is done, right? The deed is done. What do Muslims need to do politically right now in order to survive a Trump presidency? Well, you know, listening, listening to the two of you discuss what happened with the Japanese in World War II, I'm glad that we're having that conversation because we can't afford to paint a naive or overly rosy picture of what what just happened and the threat that faces us. So um, all I could do as a Muslim, as a, a, a woman who has faith in a higher being, is I turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's um, example and his directives in the Holy Quran and his example in the Holy Last Messenger, peace and blessings be upon him. And one of the things that, that I've been on lately um, is to understand some of the ancient covenants that the Holy Rasul, peace and blessings be upon him, 
made during times of early religious persecution of Muslims, the covenants that he made with the Christians to respect and protect one another in their exercise of faith. Now that's vitally, vitally important that the three Abrahamic religions realize that it's not Muslims who are under attack, it's not African Americans who are under attack, it's not Mexicans, it is actually faith and God-fearing people whose institutions are under attack. Anti-Semitism has skyrocketed in this election. Islamophobia has skyrocketed in this election. Christian minorities have been persecuted. And what we need to do politically is to begin civically to build coalitions on common values, to go back to the Ten Commandments, go back to the, the commandments of decency and love, build coalitions, and then fortify ourselves and our communities to resist what we strongly anticipate is coming our way. That's what we have to do. We have Muslims in positions of, of power and influence throughout this country. We have non-Muslims who, who are aligned with the same values that we have, and we need to call on them and support them now more than ever. But absolutely agree with that. I think that it's really important that we realize that, you know, one of the things during when I was standing in line to vote um, and a friend of mine who uh, Babs Rawls Ivo, who has a show on Friday here at WNHH, friend and colleague, um, I, I stuck my head into her live video and um, I, I told the story of, of the man who who was drowning and two boats came by and he refused the help. And then finally, when he went to heaven and he saw God and he asked God why you didn't help me, he said, you know, he said, I sent you two boats. <laughs> and she noted, she's like, you know, that was like a Christian proverb. I was and my response was, we all in the same boat. <laughs> it doesn't matter where it comes from. We are all in the same boat. And so if we're not working together, the entire boat will sink and everybody's going to sink with it. There's like no floaters. <laughs> um, Manju, what do you think? What, what What is our next step? What do we need to do politically here in America as Muslim Americans to get through a Trump presidency? Um, it is it is the million dollar question uh, for sure. But uh, th there are three things that I want to I want to touch upon here to answer this question. Number one is there is something in the short term that we need to do. Uh, our community right now, just like a huge segment of our nation, is in shock. Uh, some of them are in fear. Uh, we have our kids. We need to reassure them that this is their country. That they are not going anywhere that they are not going to be harmed. Uh, we need to send that message. We need to calm the anxiety and the fear of, of our community. Um, so, so that's so important for us to do. And we do it like, uh, just like our sister said, with uh, building coalitions and reaching out to others. And so many of them actually have been sending uh, notes and messages of support and solidarity with the community. Um, the second part is that it is so important as we see these results and these numbers, it is so important for our Muslim community <clears throat> to keep increasing its numbers, to keep increasing its presence in the political field. We need to register more people. We need to organize much better. We need to bring in um, you know, people who are disfranchised, who feel that this is not the system for them. We need to bring them into the fold. 
and, and get them involved. This is extremely important. And not only get involved at the later uh, game plan, if you will. We, we do not want to see Muslims just sit out uh, throughout the year and then wait for November to come so they can cast their ballot between you know, a Trump and a Hillary, which so many of our young people, for example, uh, express some dismay that why are we voting or why are we having only these two candidates that what some of them considered, both of them are horrible. Uh, I have, you know, um, my, one of my daughters, she, after she voted yesterday, she said, I feel disgusted. I said, why? She said, because I'm voting for her. Uh, in a sense that she can't bring, you know, of course she's rejecting Trump, but at the same time, she looks at Hillary with all the problems and all the things that come out of her, and she's not happy with that choice. So that we need to be involved a lot more. In, in a state like Connecticut, for example, you know, where the Democratic, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's be clear, the Democratic Party rule, uh, the Muslims need to be involved in the Democratic Party. We need to have a say in who in the primaries, who these uh, people who are running for office are from the get-go. The third point is that our community, we are so diverse. We do not agree on many issues. So while I'm saying in Connecticut, for example, we need to be within the Democratic Party, at the same time, we need to be mindful that there is a segment of our community that rejects some of the things that the Democratic Party stands for, especially on social conservative issues. This is important for us to understand. And we need to have that conversation so we can bring everybody together and say, well, what are the things that we all agree upon? You know, there are some red lines that we all have to agree, whether we are liberals, conservative, left, right, whatever it is, that we need to agree on certain minimum that we can say no politician should cross these red lines. Otherwise, they will be punished. They will not be getting our vote. And so uh, as we as we um, do this uh, and, and prepare for this advocacy within a, the Muslim community, and I completely agree, you know, one of the things that I, I think that it was really important that was not pointed out enough is yesterday's vote was not just for the president, but it was also for our state Senate and our Congress people and our state representative and um, the the people who actually, you know, there's this big there's this big controversy, I guess, or back and forth about whether uh, the fact that um, the Electoral College actually elects the president. And but what people I don't think people even understand what that electoral college is. The people that we elect to our party, such as Rosa Delora, such as Blumenthal, they are the people that choose the electoral college. So voting yesterday was not just important for the presidency. It was important for you to choose the people that will represent us in choosing the president. And that is kind of like the bigger picture that a lot of people miss. Now, we can have certainly a lot of conversation about the Electoral College and whether or not it's still relevant and whether or not we need to change it. I believe that we certainly do need to change it in the way that it functions. But I think that for now, where we are in this election, the people who didn't vote because they didn't want to vote for president, you know, the the, the conversation that I had with my 20 year old, I was trying to get him to vote. He was like, oh, I don't want to vote for president. I don't want to vote for president. And in the end, my husband called him and said, look, go vote. Even if you leave the president part blank, 
go vote for the rest of the people right, that we need right. to get into office. And that was the conversation. That, that actually is what got him to the poll. I don't know if he actually marked down anything for president, but um, what got him to the poll was you don't have to vote for the president, but you just you need to vote. Um, and so I think it's important that we understand the big picture. It's not just about the president. You know, the president, what he passed trickles down to us. The more immediate and direct laws is going to be the laws that's passed on the state and local level that's going to affect us. And so with that in mind, how do you, how do we get that kind of like, I guess, um, that understanding of politics uh, Munji, you've had experience of going around and talking to Muslims about their rights and um, what they what they have rights for. But what is the conversations that you have with people around how to actually have the make sure those those laws are passed and those rights are actually given to you? Right. Um, look, as I mentioned at the top of the program, that our community is kind of. You know, some segment of it is is by and large new to the political activism, and so we have a lot to learn um, from how the system works, uh, from the electoral college that you were explaining to the uh, the importance of local politics. That you know, a lot of the laws and a lot of the uh, things in, that 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 actually affect one's uh, immediate lifestyle are those laws and those decisions are made locally by your state, by your city, by your county, by your board of education, by the city council where you live. Uh, and so I keep telling my Muslim brothers and sisters that they need to be involved at the local level. Uh, just a week ago, we had uh, this gathering at the uh, Islamic Center of Greater Hartford uh, with the mayor of Windsor, myself, and some other folks who were there. And we were talking about how it is how important for Muslims to show up to city council meetings, to show up to board of education meetings. Uh, I told some of the sisters who were there, and some of them were the, the head star, uh, and I said, look, your presence in one of these meetings actually changes the conversation, even without saying anything. Just walking in the room, wearing your head star, visibly a Muslim mother of, of, of kids that go to that school, the board of education feels your presence. They know you're there. They, you become... Um, in, you know, they take you in consideration into all of this conversation, and they will come, they will talk to you, and they will ask you about what concerns you, what are the things you want us to address. Uh, that's by nature. I mean, this is local politics. It's very small groups. Uh, these are people you know. These are people you go to. Your kids go to school with the same kids as they do. You meet them at the shopping mall, at the grocery store around the corner. So. It's our presence in this public sphere and this, this local level is extremely important. Um, it's far more important to me than the national politics. National politics is important as well. But uh, being involved in that, and, and next year is going to be huge for a lot of towns in Connecticut. Um, I was talking to a sister, for example, in, in, in one of the towns in, in Connecticut, and I won't mention the name, that one person who is a member of the city council who won his election bid by 24 votes. And he is a known Islamophobe. He posts on his Facebook page insults to Islam and Muslims. Guess what? In his own district, where he was elected by only 24 votes, he has at least 50 uh, Muslim families who live in his district. 
many of them own their own houses and they own their own businesses and they live there. But because they're not involved in local politics, he gets away with that. Mm. That needs to change. Mm. That needs to change. People need to need to pay attention. And I think that that's an important thing to note. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Mornings with Mubaraka on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. Also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. Today we are hearing the Muslim American response to the election of Donald Trump. And joining us we have Tahira Amatua Dude, who is a who is an attorney um, who focuses on family and civil rights law, law and Manji Duadi, who is the senior senior program officer at the Center for Islam and Democracy in Washington, D.C. Um, Tahira, one of the things that you talked about is allyship. And I think that that is something that is certainly uh, we need to we need to note and bring up bring bring I think to a to a higher level in our going forward. Um, you know, I recently had a conversation um, on my Facebook friends with some of the people who I feel is 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 an, an ally to Muslims, um, and we talked about what is it that we need to do. How do we mm. we we join together? What are some of those kind of like practical steps of things that we need to do to um, align with people who are not Muslim? I think even with uh, Hillary Clinton presidency, my outline, my wish list remains the same. Um, Muslims are under attack. Religious persecution in this United States is at an all-time high. And the government's response sometimes in, in terms of prosecuting the offenders, depending on the level of severity the prosecution uh, um gives to these cases, I would say some of these attacks and threats could go down in the books as state-sanctioned religious, religious persecution. So in terms of what we need to do with allies, uh, first and foremost, we need to identify people who have similar values as ours. We need to meet with them on a regular basis. We need to, uh, to, to make coalitions, have meetings and discussions, community organizing, where we're talking about these issues, where we're publicly demanding that our local officials uh, protect Muslim families who may be being targeted, where we're showing up at schools and letting them know that we're not going to tolerate bullying of of children, whether they're Muslim, non-Muslim, Mexican, from any other country mistakenly identified as Muslim. We need to um, uplift our voices purposefully around some of those smaller microaggressions that we're seeing. In my, in my little game book that I've created, I think that the Department of Justice needs to be accountable to a civilian committee, and that committee would oversee complaints of religious persecution, hate crimes, and would take some of the political sort of uh, motivation behind whether or not to charge someone with a hate crime, because then we'd have this uh, area of transparency and reporting. And I think that once people have actual numbers of what is happening in this country, you hear anecdotally anti-Semitic actions are up, Islamophobic actions are up, Um, race culture is real. We're talking about issues involving women as well. When you have these numbers and you have them um, uh, publicized in a transparent way and you hold our 
federal and state law enforcement officials accountable for not only tracking them, but investigating them in a way where the citizens feel that they have a voice in how these things are being handled, then we will change the tide of what's happening. And when you have the civilian force sort of uprise like that, you cannot ignore the cries of the people. So I don't care what presidency you have, enough is still not being done to satisfy this growing cry for assistance from those who feel persecuted and from the obviously the majority that feel that there's nothing wrong. We are really at a crossroads between those two groups, but I'm confident that good will prevail here. And I'm confident, I'm confident that the voices of good are going to unite and we are going to overcome the difficulty that awaits us. And Munji, there in Washington, since you're in Washington, you're kind of like on the ground. How do how do Muslims identify allies in Washington? Um, Washington is, is, as I discovered, I've been here for about three years now. Uh, it's a different ball game than than working in a state like Connecticut, where you know people kind of it's a small state. People know each other. You build bridges. Uh, by and large, people are on the same page, even in terms of politics in Connecticut. And so it's easy to build allies and like-minded people and, and coalitions and and, uh, and and stand up for you know values that we all share. But in D.C., it's it's um, it's a much bigger. Uh, it's like a world scene. It's you have especially people who work on foreign policy, um, and you have diplomats from other countries and, and embassies that that that. Uh, that are active here in the in this town. At the same time, you have very very powerful lobbyists who represent either private uh, entities and companies or represent very powerful groups. So it's really um, it's a it's a different it's a different take uh, at the national level. Um, and so, look, like the sister said, that we're going to have to continue to seek common ground, even with those who we might differ on certain political views and political agenda. There must be at least uh, something that we all agree on, the respect of the Constitution, the respect of the Bill of Rights, the respect of freedom of religion, that the, the Muslim community has the right to practice its faith as it sees fit within the boundaries of the law of this land. Um, all those are common threads that you you will find many people who agree with you, and those are the people you will seek, and those are the people you will um, hopefully try to strengthen your bond with and work with. Um, our, again, our community is afraid today. Our community is anxious, um, and, and especially our young generation, especially our kids. Um, you know, especially you know those kids who were born and raised here. They feel they don't have again this conflict between. Are they really a Muslim or American? They, they know they're Americans and they know they're Muslims. And so they don't have any issue with that identity. But they are afraid that, for example, their father, their mother, who were born in a different country and who are here and they speak with a, you know, kind of a different accent, you know, they, they think that what is Trump going to do to them? Uh, is he going to deport them? Is he going to keep them? Is he, you know, they hear all this rhetoric and they are very, very afraid. So. We need to calm their fears. We need to stand our ground that this is our country. We're going to stand up. We're going to fight. We're not going to give in um, to, to, to Trump or the fear or anything. You know, as long as he stays 
true to the values of the Constitution. We, we're going to respect his presidency. We're going to work with other allies. Uh, and we're going to be here to stay. So um, hopefully that's the, that's the strategy that I think um, ultimately we'll have to take. Mm-hmm. I think that you're both, you both hit on some really profound um, points that uh, we should definitely take to heart. I think one of the, the important things that, that you noted is that this is really the beginning. We are still not without hope because we still have 33 um, Senate states that is now um, up for grabs. And we we need to to choose the people that we think that will be allies for us. And, and that's a really important point in going forward. So one of so as we come towards the end of the show, we only have about five minutes or so here left. And if you're just tuning in, we are talking about the Muslim American response to um, the presidency elect the president election of um, Donald Trump as president of the United States um, on. And this is Mornings with Mubaraka on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. Um, and Tahira, leave us with some thoughts about where does the Muslim community specifically um, go from here? What are some of the concrete things that we need to do? All righty. <laughs> the, the thoughts that come to mind after uh, talking with some of the people who are dearest and closest to me is a reminder that even in our most frightening and lonely moments, we have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And no matter what happens, our reliance is on him 100%. And we have great examples in history of the small and what appear to be weak, how and how they've responded to oppression. I'm reminded that for every Goliath, there's David, there's Dawood. I'm reminded that for every Pharaoh, there's Prophet Musa, salam, Moses. And there's Tawakal and Tawheed that Muslims need to be able to remember and call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as their sole source of reliance and strength and guidance and that he won't let anything happen to you without his permission. So I think we fall back not on reliance upon a Hillary Clinton presidency or fear of a Donald Trump presidency, but on the promise of our Lord, our almighty creator, and the, the great and ancient and divine examples that we have of strength throughout history. And we fall back on our core principles of community, love, decorum, manner, respect, and citizenship. That's what we need to do as Muslims and always demonstrate, always demonstrate leadership and fearlessness. Excellent, excellent advice. Manji, what would you what what advice do you would you like to leave us with um, um, in going forward and where what are some of the action steps that the Muslim community needs to take from here? Um, get involved, get involved, get involved. I mean that's we cannot we cannot afford to stay on the fence. We cannot afford to stay on the bench and watch the game. Uh, we need to be involved in this. And uh, there's a beautiful verse, actually, was put out by Care National. 
um, today that reminds us that this is this is a trial and tribulation, just like those who came before us. And the verse reads uh, from the Quran: It says, "Do you think that you will enter paradise without such trials as came to those who passed away before you? They encountered suffering and adversity, and were so shaken in spirit that even the apostle and those of faith who were in him cried." When will help of God come? Verily, the help of God is always near. Um, the Holy Quran, chapter two, verse two to fourteen, and it reminds us that this is this is another uh, milestone. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have to go through this test, and uh, our community will will prevail. We're gonna have meetings up here at the national level with many of the organizations to talk about this new reality. We're gonna have meetings in the state of Connecticut uh, with our Muslim community leaders, with our partners and friends. Uh, to talk about this new reality that we're in, and um, we will prevail. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to thank you both for coming on and talking to us and giving us some insight and some hope <laughs> uh, and helping people to process kind of like the thing, what has happened and transpired over the next 24 hours and giving us a, a clear lens as to how um, we are looking through that lens over the next over the next uh, four years, apparently. Um, if you're just tuning in, this is Mornings with Mubaraka, and we've been talking about the uh, Muslim American response to the presidency of Donald Trump. I want to thank you, Tahira, and thank you, Munji, for, for joining me um, this morning. Um, and I want to thank you guys for listening, and please let me know um, what do you think about it. You can use the hashtag NWM Radio on Twitter or on Facebook, and I'll find you. I'll click it and find you. Um, if you use the hashtag MWM Radio, um, one of the things that I'd like to leave listeners with is uh, a kind of it is a it's it's a story in the story of the prophet uh, Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, when we when he told the people to um, um, trust in God and they and one man said to him, he said, so um, I, if I trust in God, then should I just leave my camel? And, and just trust that he'll be there when when he come back. And the prophet's response, peace and blessings be upon him, was trust in God, but tie your camel. And the way right. that this is interpreted in Islam is that we trust in God, but you do action. It is not a um, Muslims don't sit back and just believe in God and don't do anything. So it's it's more than about, you know, putting out a tweet or putting a, 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 a post on Facebook. We have to take action to secure our safety, to secure our rights, to secure our positions as Muslim Americans in America. It's not about running away. It's not about moving away. It's not about cowering in fear. You trust in God, but you have to take action. And we can't forget the second part of that. We can't forget the tying the camel is taking action. Please take note from some of the profound things that my guest said. Find allies and advocate and be supportive and get support. Make sure that you are present and you make your your appearance present. This is not the time for us to hide in our mosque and in our houses, but rather a time to come out and be more vocal and more seen at your kids' school meetings, at your PTA, at your school board, in your aldermanic meetings, at the state capitol.
capital on the federal level if that's where you need to be so that you can be present and you can be known and you can advocate for your rights. That is really, really important. And do a little self-educating. Understand how the political system work. If you're sitting back and you're wondering how in the world did this happen, understand, educate yourself on how the electoral college work, understand your uh, how state and Senate seats work, how your local council work. There is a process to this. And it's not that the process doesn't work. You sometimes have to get the right people in the right places to make it work for the betterment of all of the people. And it's really important that we understand how democracy actually functions in America. And that is one of the biggest threats to democracy is people not understanding the process of how it's work, how it works. So hopefully that is something that you can take away and you can, we, we, it's time to roll up our sleeves. It's time. It's not time to, to cower down, but rather to roll the bus sleeves and get to work. And I want to thank you for listening. You've been listening to mornings with Mubaraka on WNHHLP 103.5 FM also streaming live on new Haven independent.org. And I want to remind you to be a voice and not an echo. Thank you so much. Thank you.